Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist and now a health coach based in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the queen of Arkansas media. I started this podcast in 2020 to help you live a better life. This episode features a board-certified gynecologist in Florida who's a freedom-seeking physician and wants you to look at your gut health in order to address your gynecological issues. She's Dr. Salome Biscotti, and you'll get to meet her right after this. I think the hardest thing about navigating over 40 is, really over 35, is the hormone disruptions that happen and the fact that I felt like no one had any answers. Well, had I known about compounding at cornerstone.com, it's Cornerstone Pharmacy here in Little Rock on Rodney Parham Road, I would have at least been ahead of the game just a little because Brittany Marsh, though she wasn't even practicing then, she wasn't a pharmacist then, but my point is, had I had an advocate like Brittany and the team there at Cornerstone Pharmacy, I'd have been a whole lot better because what they can do for you at compounding at cornerstone.com, and you can go there right now and um, check this out, is the hormone testing. Had I known what my hormones were doing and not just listening to my provider going, no, you're fine, you're 40. No, 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 no. I needed a lot more than that. And the Dutch test, the dried urine test for comprehensive hormones, it is, comprehensive is an understatement. I think it was like a 17 or 18 page report that I got. And then the other one that I love, and I did do this about 15 years ago when I first started teetering on the hormones there, is um, the saliva test. And I'm telling you about all this because if you go there right now and you use Lisa at checkout, my friends, you save 20% off the testing. And then they can read the results for you. And depending on where you are, you would have a provider in your state, maybe write a prescription. They can tell you what you need. I'm telling you because I'm a customer. Have been a long time. Compounding at cornerstone.com. I'd like to introduce you now to a piece of property outside of downtown Little Rock that is one for the books. Built in 1885, it is Marlsgate. It is a beautiful, sprawling Greek Revival property where you can host your next unique event at this treasure. I can help you with that. I've known the Talbot family, who is just the third owners of Marlsgate. Yeah, go back in time, 1885, the Dorch family, David Gardner then had it, and then Martha Ellen and Bo Talbot bought it in 2017, and they've really restored it to mint condition. It is their home, guys. So when you host an event there, it we don't call it an event center because it, it's not. It, it It's their home. But they open their home so you can have Christmas teas or I'm hosting a cocktail party there in December or weddings or, oh, they had a fabulous birthday party for a girl who maybe the the host lived in New York and the recipient lived in L.A. It was, you know, both coasts kind of got involved, flew to Arkansas, had an affair to remember. I mean, if we're going to go back and use movie titles, and I can because it's my podcast, but I'm telling you, it is that type of impressive property. Reach out to me. I can show it to you or go to their website, marlskate.com. 
She won Most Talkative in high school, and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. Okay, not many times I have someone who can speak, is it six languages you're fluent in? Five. <laughs> Five. Oh, okay. Well, now I've got to find someone who can do six. Yeah, you. Uh, we talked, obviously, before we started recording, you have an impressive uh, pedigree in history and the fact that you have per- Persian descent, uh, lived in Europe, and now you're in the U.S., you're in Florida, and you're practicing medicine, part of it because of freedoms. And people need to understand that there are certain states that are um, give a longer leash to uh, medical providers than other states. It's just, it's a fact of science. This is not about politics. It's about, I, I hope my, this is what I tell my audience and my listeners, and I am a certified health coach is, I don't care what decisions you make for your body, just be informed. So if you choose to take um, whatever's been offered the last three years and take birth control and take ibuprofen, um, and drink Diet Cokes with the information I've given you, then clearly I'm not as convincing as I thought I was, but have at it because that's where I think, that's where I hope people are. But what is your passion though? Because you are um, a surgeon, a gynecological surgeon. You see women every day. Your life has changed so much from coming from a totalitarian regime to, well, you were in Eastern Europe, weren't you? Where I don't know how many freedoms you had. Central Europe, you would consider Austria Central Europe. It wasn't okay. part of the, yeah. That's true, that's true. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. was a democracy, right? Austria was a democracy. Yeah, they were. And I think they still um, had obviously reaped the consequences of the Second World War. Sure. And they made a lot in the education. You would hear a lot about it and try not to repeat the mistakes. But yeah, yeah I definitely lived in two countries where at some point totalitarian regimes had taken place. Or were yeah, that's taken right. Place. Yeah. And that's what we want to avoid here, of course. But as a a provider, what is your passion for women now in 2023, going into 2024? So much has changed just in the last three years. Yes, absolutely. I've always loved hormones and I've always loved women's health ever since I was in high school. But the last three years changed a lot of things in addition to that, where my eyes opened up to how important it is that I inform myself about certain Mm -hmm. medications or therapies that are new on the market and they're being put pushed on really large scale by news medias, even politicians, Hollywood celebrities, that I do my own due diligence and and don't just go with what's being said and research and then really do really good job at counseling women. And it's been really easier to do that once I was outside of the big hospital systems where certain protocols are dictated, certain ways to treat women and the way you counsel them and the amount of time you can spend with them. So now my passion is just educating women about their bodies. And I agree with you in everything you said. If you're going to make choices on your diet and the treatments that you do to your body after I have counseled you about of them, that's, <laughs> right. your, that's your autonomy. That's, that's right. your that's, right. that's your freedom of choice. And it's absolutely fine. And I come from no place of judgment. But I'm here for you to discuss um, what the side effects of things are that you might not really hear from your regular OBGYN. And I know what your regular OBGYN says, because I trained in that system. So and, I can see both, right. of, you know, both so sides. You're no longer bought and paid for. You must have a private practice where you're not in a hospital setting. 
Correct. Correct. Okay. And it's much harder to be outside of the insurance system. Definitely oh, much more struggling, you know, because you, you don't have a lot of people who can pay out of pocket for you, know. your services. But in the same time, those who do, they, I think they appreciate and the value what they get from you because they know that you have sold out freedom over, you know, a certain financial security. And then they also appreciate the kind of knowledge you can share with them because you're not part of a bigger system. Well, I feel like the elephant in the living room right now is in mm-hmm. some of that conversation. I'm reading between the lines, but part of it might be the Ozempic, uh, semaglutide conversation. Are people, are people getting all the information when they go in and say, I'm desperate to lose weight. I want the shot. Give it to me. Is a provider saying, now, you know, there's a risk of thyroid cancer and you'll be on this for the rest of your life. Are people saying that? I do. Uh, And I love that you brought this up. This is very similar to another injection that people got the last three years without maybe being told everything that's associated with it. Um, We just don't have long-term data as much. Every day I hear a new headline about Ozempic, right? Like three, no, sorry, two months ago, you hear higher suicide rates, right? Yes. And then a month ago you hear, oh, but it's also great. Hold on. I mean, it helps with heart failure. So you hear every week a different headline. Don't you want to maybe wait out and see what the long-term studies are? And so I do talk to patients and I say, listen, we don't have completely long-term data. This is what we know so far. It has been associated with these positive and these negative changes. And you make your decision. And I have patients whom I say pancreatic cancer, liver disease, gallbladder issues, thyroid thyroid disease, higher depression, suicide rates, blah, blah, blah. And they still want it. And I'm like, perfect. I'll prescribe it for you because you know everything. You know everything now. The same with the birth control. If they want it, after I tell them everything that could be associated with it, I let them make that choice. Same with hormone replacement for menopause. I mean, and I don't want to put hormone replacement and menopause in the same category as birth control or uh, ozempic because I do think that the hormones, the type of hormones we use in hormone replacement is different. That's right. Just what to, we're using now. What we're using now and what we yeah. know about and what, what what's coming out now. But again, you know, long-term data is always superior to short-term and, and it's someone's own um, decision. And I tell people... Also, the duration, the dose makes the poison, right? The dosage. So if it de- depends on how long you use something and if you're actually using it to make positive behavioral changes of your eating habits during the time that you're using this medication. If you're using it as a shortcut to being healthy, you're just covering up the underlying issues, right? So, yeah. Yes, but so I have to think about the mechanics involved because mm-hmm. uh, let's go back to metabolism 101. The hypothalamus gets involved, tells the pancreas to release insulin. Insulin is mm-hmm. a fat storing hormone. It uh, takes the glucose, it ushers it to the cells. A few hours after we've eaten, then you have a glucagon. You have glucagon that the pancreas releases that tells you it, it's a satiety hormone, right? It's yes. like... Um, uh, leptin or mm-hmm. cholecystokinin that tells you, you know what, you don't need any more food. So th- I, am, are we producing that on our own then without semaglutide? Yes, right? Yes. So yes. the person who battles obesity or has high fasting insulin, we know is insulin resistant, they may not be pushing that out. So this is a Band-Aid that gets them through a period where it does, it glucagon-like, you'll hear the GLP-1 agonist. That's mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. the definition of that is. So after they're off the medication, do they then start making glucagon? That's what I, 
that, that that's what I'm saying. It all depends on what they do to build that up. Are they doing other things to help their gut flora and their muscle mass? Oh, so that okay. they build up more of those receptors so that those, you know, own body made substances can work better. We know we can definitely also make it more complicated and talk about how there is genetic and epigenetic changes. But I do think that even if you have a genetic predisposition to obesity and maybe you make less of certain substances that are beneficial to maintain a body, you know, uh, body mass that's normal, you can't deny that there's a lot of epigenetic changes due to the habits that you then have, you know, the type of food choices you make, the type of exercise you perform and how stressed you are and how your cortisol levels are. So if you then arrange and adapt all of that while you're taking this medication, maybe then coming off, you would be better off than you were before. But I just don't know if everybody's doing it in the same way or using it as a shortcut by and, and wanting to avoid those healthy habits that they still have to uh, maintain. Uh, on a daily basis. Um, and I think there's just, in general, I've noticed whenever we try to take a shortcut in medicine, it just never really works long term. Fen, fen, hello. I mean, yeah. Yes. We, we could go through years and years of case studies of people who've been bitten in their yeah. skinnier butt with, um, you know, some of these things that they thought would manipulate it. Do you know anyone that weaned off um, one of the, the semaglutide are in that family and that they are still successful today with weight loss? It's a great question. Because I've only been using it for a few months, I only know people who are on it. And then some people who couldn't tolerate it came off and then gained weight back. Right. So it's a really interesting question. I just don't have enough experience with it. Um, and and I do believe there's some differences between the type, like the terzepatide, I think is better than the semaglutide. because oh, you it do? Does yeah, just because some data coming out how it does affect the gut bacteria in a positive oh. way, in a certain way. But again, you know, do I think that's the only way to do that? No, we know certain gut bacteria that we have, short chain fatty acids, acromensia, and I test for that. I can, through food groups, help people to build those bacteria up. So it really depends on how deep someone wants to go. If they want to go really deep, I'll go as deep as vitamins and minerals and help them with the receptors. But some people just want a quicker fix because they feel so bad. They just want to feel better about themselves quicker. And they don't have maybe the patience to wait out to see weight changes after six or 12 months. Like for example, by mineral balancing and some of the lifestyle changes I do with women, like sauna, light therapy, things like that, you can experience a weight loss. But it takes four to six months to even see a few pounds. And then if you use the right hormones or you support the thyroid or you support the hormones that they're losing in perimenopause and menopause, yes, but it's never going to be overnight. With this weight loss medication, it is overnight. It's a result. And they like that people are so used to, you have to understand, we have had hundreds of years of pharma in our society. And people, even though they, they now don't want to use ibuprofen or Tylenol, they're used to the quick effects of medications. Yeah. And so it is sometimes as a doctor, I say, hey, I can do this and it's going to take longer and it's going to take some handholding, but we can get you there. I had a patient, high blood pressure, took me nine months, even though I optimized her minerals, vitamins on paper, everything was great, but it was her stress and she couldn't give up the stress, you know, in her daily, you know, life. She couldn't give up certain things that cause a lot of stress. And only until we brought the coach on board and she worked a lot more on that, could she get 100% there. Before, 
with my supplements and the diet and the hormones, 70%. And then the lifestyle, another 30%, you know? So these are the people who are patient and who, who are in it for the long haul. They, they give it time, but a lot of people want quick, quick solutions. Sure. Well, you mentioned the coach part. Um, mm-hmm. When I got my coaching certification from the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, New York, uh, Dr. Doctor Hyman came and spoke to us, but he also, it was about that time that he was saying that really, you know, if Venus and Serena Williams, the greatest tennis players in the world, still have a coach, why wouldn't other people, you know, he says health coaches, and I'm not saying that to toot my own horn. I'm saying that all of us need someone to partner with, to lock arms with. Yes. Um because we know a physician's time is limited. Even your time is limited, you know, and it, it, you just need someone sometimes to help you, you know, put me in coach. What's my game plan? That's just what people yes. want sometimes. Absolutely. Um, th- they want someone who can empathize with them and say, I've been there. And yes. that's why, you know, for a woman my age, I have so much empathy for menopausal women, postmenopausal women, just because during that time, um, as I was going into perimenopause and Oprah's now made this meme or it's really a real famous and it's, she was 48 years old and she had heart palpitations. And so of course they sent her to the cardiologist. They put, um, she's, you know, had the heart monitor. Yeah. It was menopause, but nobody was addressing it. So let's talk about some of those silent, unusual menopause symptoms for people. Yes. Hallelujah. Absolutely. Great topic. Palpitations, one of them. AFib increases incrementally just from the lack, you know, the fall, the fall of estrogen yes. and the changes in your hormones. And then as your thyroid also changes with those changes. Yes, absolutely. So palpitations, um, mood swings, and even depressed mood that people don't didn't have before. So they get put on SSRIs or antidepressants. And hate for your family. Like there was a time that my husband's out breath got on my nerves and I adore him. I've been married to him for 35 years, but I would think, really, you want a grilled cheese sandwich now? You know, like anything got on my nerves. Now I'm happy as a clam because I've got an estradiol pellet in my butt. I take testosterone (laughs) transdermally and I do progesterone at night. So I'm delightful. But there is a time where it's, you hate your family and no one tells you it's because your hormones yeah. are uh, imbalanced. Yes, absolutely. So the mood, um, obviously um, joint pain where women's get started, worked up for autoimmune, you know, rheumatoid arthritis. And then oh, they get stabbed. I see that all the time. Now, yeah. wait, now, isn't this true? My sweet endocrinologist who shepherded me into a life that giving uh-huh. me my life back with, you know, natural thyroid replacement told me 20 years ago when I first got diagnosed with hypothyroidism and vitiligo and all, I had a positive ANA titer. He yeah. said, cause you birthed something. He said, everyone who's birthed something has a positive ANA titer, but they make you run for the hills that you're on fire that then they were making me think I had rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah. And Ugh. I mean, even if you had five autoimmune markers, it's just a reaction to something. It's not a diagnosis. I mean, Good. our hormones do modulate our immune system. Yes. So as our hormones fall, our immune system changes. So we're more prone to autoimmune diseases in menopause. Oh, and it's that. And I, I've said this so many times on my podcast, people are going to roll their eyes. They're like, I've heard you say it. But until somebody explained to me, that at the end of my 30s, when I finally got diagnosed with vitiligo and Hashimoto's, they're calling that thyropause now. 
because it ushers you into perimenopause. The thyroid starts to dissipate at the Mm -hmm. time everything else, progesterone, as we know, starts to dip. That 3 a.m. wake up is about age 40 where you're Mm -hmm. going, what am I awake about? And then it's the same time that everything else happens. So then explain that this is the, the science that makes me crazy. Is it estrogen dominance or is it really estrogen imbalance? Because don't sometimes women have too much testosterone during this time? Okay, okay. So great question. Estrogen dominance just means the imbalance to progesterone. So you can oh, have both low, okay. but you have That's progesterone right. yes. even lower and yes. it's still estrogen dominating. Okay. It's an unfortunate expression. And I still, I use it on my Instagram because people understand it, but it's really not the right description. It's an imbalance. So the so estrogen progesterone really have to have the ratio, but testosterone has to be in the mix somewhere. Uh, yeah. So testosterone by itself is still the most abundant hormone of all hormones across all your lifetime oh. uh, until the ovaries completely stop producing it. But you still produce about fifty percent of your testosterone in your adrenals. But uh, we but don't want to overwork adrenals either. Correct. Correct. And. Um, your testosterone is always more abundant than the other hormones, but as your estrogen falls even more, there could be a disproportion, and then that's where you could have proportionately more testosterone than estrogen, right? Got and it. then you had like, you know, the the undesired effects of hair growing on places you don't want and yeah, cystic acne. But it, interestingly, it doesn't work on libido or preventing the clitoris from shrinking or oh, it doesn't. No, because it's still low. Like it's just proportionally higher than oh. the because in terms of um, absolute amounts in the blood, you know. I see. Um, that's how I explain it to myself. I mean, I've okay. not gotten it explained by someone, but that's how I, I see it, just based on the absolute values and how they work. But what is interesting is we know too much estrogen uh, testosterone not good when someone is in their fertile uh, period where because you know that causes PCOS and then they get infertility because you know that's associated with insulin resistance and then they're not ovulating regularly because testosterone can inhibit ovulation but but then too little testosterone isn't good either because you know now you can't build muscle mass and you lose muscle mass and you get fat distribution differently and there's a lot of um, controversies women can uh, you know is, is too much testosterone causes belly fat or too little testosterone? And I think it's just about having the right amount. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it could be either way. Because another thing Mark Hyman says is as men and women age and they approach 60 to 65, they start to look alike. They both have an mm-hmm. abdomen. They start losing hair mm-hmm. and they start getting the facial the, the, hair. hair growth. Mm-hmm. So is it because at that point men have too much? Do men make progesterone? Um, so yes, men do. have progesterone as they well. Okay. Um, but they so, have estrogen that yes. could be out of balance with their testosterone that makes them look that way. And the opposite for women, too much right. testosterone. Oh, right. All right. Yeah. Yes. And I think it's just all about proportions. But then again, you said you have, a, do you have a testosterone palette or do you have a testosterone? I used to, but it made me um, have whiskers and cystic okay. acne. So I do the transdermal now and it's Got much it. better okay. for me. Yeah, absolutely. But what I'm saying is if it, testosterone was so um, detrimental to body fat, all these women who get the testosterone palace where the levels come much higher, they would complain of that, but they actually don't. I mean, this common side effects are the hair growth and the acne because yeah. 
it makes your pores bigger and it makes your sebaceous glands produce more. Yes, acetone. you have oily skin like a 16-year-old. You have oily yeah. skin. But, it, you know, in terms of palate fit, I've never heard, because I work in a GYN office where, where they do palates, I've not heard women complain of, I've gained weight on the testosterone. In fact, they have now, more energy. Now, I have. My <laughs> provider told me, because I my health coaching clients goes to my functional medicine um, nurse practitioner, and she said she is seeing it. And she's trying to figure it out. Is it lactic acid? Is it something in muscle growth? You know, is there something that correlates with some women seeing a little bit of weight gain? Not a lot, but maybe fluid think, retention. Okay. Well, my uh, hypothesis is, is the aromatase activity. So if you are more inflamed, then you have higher aromatase activity and you're actually converting it more into the estro- estrogen. And then that could be causing some of those uh, symptoms oh, for women. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. So that's where the pathways get involved. The estrogen, I, I estradiol. So, Mm-hmm. And as so, I think it could potentially be having to do with underlying inflammation. And so, if you have some, if you if your terrain isn't absolutely healthy, and you put hormones in there, so you put the seed, but your fertilizer isn't good, it's just Got not going to grow a healthy plant. And so, hormones by themselves are not the solution to everything. It again goes back to quick solution. Ideally, I want to work with a woman and know her inflammatory markers, her gut health, her liver function. Is her liver congested? Because any hormone I will push on her, she's going to have a hard time metabolizing if she's not having a healthy functioning liver. And so it's it's if she has underlying breast inflammation, for example, or if she's underlying insulin resistance, and I give her estrogen or progesterone or testosterone, I'm going to change pathways maybe in a way that don't work for her that well you know i have women that progesterone is supposed to be calming right yes. and it's activating the GABA receptor well i have women they get more anxious on it because the underlying reasons why she doesn't feel oh. good to begin with um isn't addressed and so now you're giving progesterone and it's it's causing the wrong things so i don't think there's a one way solution for everyone. I think we're all very individual and hopefully in the future we will even have more precision medicine. But for now, all I, what I can offer a woman is, hey, listen, let me do, let me also check your liver, your adrenal function, your gut health, uh, your breast health. You know, let's do a thermography and see if you have underlying inflammation, you know, things like that. Let's check your thyroid. Let's not just focus on testosterone, progesterone, estrogen. Um, that's where I come from. And I'm still learning. I mean, again, out of residency and fellowship, I've been learning functional medicine. I've done some trainings, but a lot of it comes with the experience that I've gained sure. from working with women. So maybe in a few years, I will have even more answers for you. Oh, good. We'll book you again then because you have a lot of answers now. Um, so I think the first thing that happens to a woman, because I see women who are my age mm-hmm. and I'm 100. You know, I say I look good for 100. I'm 60. So women between 40 and 65 are kind of my clients. And these are kind of the symptoms they present with. Mm-hmm. Um, their stomach hurts. They have bloating. Mm-hmm. Um, they're constipated. They might have diarrhea, which I always, you know, check your thyroid because Sometimes when that was remedied, a lot of that was remedied for me. When that was addressed, a lot of that was remedied for me. But the first thing um, a Western or traditional provider will say is, well, you need to have an upper and lower GI. Mm-hmm. And those mm-hmm. people are so hopeful and they come out of there with nothing. Because mm-hmm. all that's really checking for is if you have uh, esophagitis or if you have polyps. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. that's not what causes tummy aches. 
What causes tummy aches, constipation, and bloating is poor gut health. So instead of running, and I love me some GI doctors, you know, but I'm just saying you're going to be sorely disappointed when you come home and there's no answer. So what's your first thing you do when she comes in and says, or the doctor says, we need to rip out that gallbladder, you know. You know, I've been talking about Ralston Family Farms now for mm, a long time. Sponsors of the Lisa Fisher Said podcast, and I'd like to thank them for their belief in me and what I do, and that is trying to spread good news about health and some other things and the frivolous things I like to follow. But you know what? They are a solid family. And I say that because I know them personally. I've gotten to know Robin Ralston and her family well, and I know what they do. It is the very grit of their lives. It is is what they wake up, their feet hit the floor in the morning to make sure that you get the best product. And it's the rice that we've been talking about, the six varieties now with rice grits as well. But it's the fact that they're the ones who answer the phone when you call Ralston Family Farms. And they love answering your questions. They love talking about their rice and their farming practices. They love telling you about regenerative farming and their certification. That's a very unique aspect of this business. And they will tell you they are grateful for their customers. They value their customers. They consider you friends. And they know that if you put your your trust in them, that means so much to them. They are a faith-based family. They give so much back to the community. Y'all, they are one impressive group and one impressive product. Go to their website now, RalstonFamilyFarms.com. I've got a suggestion for a Christmas gift, and that is by going to dogtalktv.com, dogtalktv.com, and buying some of the books there that will benefit the local rescues in Arkansas. And there's some other rescues they help as well because the author of many of the books, Pat Becker-Wallace, lives in Little Rock, but she has Oklahoma ties, and some of these books do benefit the rescues that are there. And when I say that, there's a difference between the dog rescue and the dog shelter, okay? And let's go over the basics. And that is, the shelters often get city and county funds to keep their doors open, right? Keep the lights on. The rescues don't. And the rescues often have a policy, or these do, that they are no-kill shelters. So you are benefiting them. And plus, you'll love the books. My granddaughters love the books. I've given them to um, some of the charities here in Central Arkansas where they're housing families um, for their libraries. Everyone needs these books. And you know you're buying books that benefit a great cause. Go to their website now, buy some of the books, know you did something good for your community and especially here in Central Arkansas for us dogtalktv.com. Yeah. Don't do that either. So what's the first thing you say someone should do if she's noticing bloating, constipation, maybe burping, slow motility, other things, not run to the GI doctor, but do what? What's your favorite thing? I like, I mean, ideally if they want the testing, the, the gut stool testing, which is in a functional test, it's not rigidly covered by insurance. You have different companies. You have GI effect, GI map, gut zoomer. But even before that, let's say she doesn't even want to spend money on it. I okay. have a few tests that I can have them do like 
drink some baking soda and tell me if you're burping. And then I can see if your stomach acidity is affected, you know? So we, um, do we want, cause we never, we don't want to drink the water that they say is, has, is alkaline or whatever. What do we want our, do we want acid in our stomach? We do, right? So the alkaline water doesn't affect our stomach acidity too much because, you know, our stomach acidity is so low between two to three and this alkaline water being at eight, it doesn't really have so much effect on it. Now, it's all about quantity and how much you do something, but you, you actually want your stomach acidity to be low so you can digest food. Okay. You want it to be low so it can break up the food and digest it before it okay. gets into the small bowel because the small bowel still has a little bit of acidity, but not too much. It becomes much more alkaline. And then the large bowel is completely alkaline. So by the time food gets there, if it hasn't been broken down, and if your stomach acidity didn't work well, then you have in your stool undigested food and you change the pH in your gut the wrong way and then you get more diarrhea because it all has to do with alkalinity and acidity and how much food digestion has taken place. You start digesting with your saliva, so That's chewing right. is really important. Slow breathing is important, so you activate your vagus nerve, so that's rest and digest mode. Instead of running around with a pizza slice, running after the kids with a pizza slice in your mouth, it would be great if you know you could sit down for a few minutes. And, and not slowly. look at your phone. And not look at your phone and read things that. that upset you, and then you get your vagus nerve activity lower. Oh. You, know? you want to really be resting and enjoying and taking in the food and the smells and how it looks, and then digest it slowly. And then it goes into the stomach, and you want your stomach acidity to be really good, break it up, and then you know it goes further. But you know, that would be the first thing to start. How are your eating habits? And mm. what are you eating? That's good. Before I even go to a gut test, because that's a few couple hundred dollars. What if her problem could be solved by just discussing how she's eating? And then, um, so so that would be my first thing. But let's say you, let's say we assume someone has low stomach acidity. Then people say, oh, give them digestive enzymes. Yes, that's great. But again, that's a band-aid. Why is her stomach acidity low? Is her nervous system completely in the wrong activation? You know, you need to work on the vagus nerve activation and, and coming down from the sympathetic overactivation. You need to address nutrients. You need to make stomach acid. Did you know that, Lisa? You need, for example, you need B12 and you need certain uh, minerals to make stomach acidity. So now, if what, if you, what if at yeah. that point you have the MTHFR gene? Mm -hmm. Does that compromise your B12? Does that have to be methylated? It can, but if you are eating enough foods with methyl donors, or if you have enough, uh, if you have the right balance of sulfur-containing foods and methyl, it's just so many complicated details to that. You can have MTHFR and have wonderful B vitamin levels. Okay, folate in B twelve. It really depends on the context. So I always say MTHFR is again is the genetics. Mm -hmm. But your epigenetics make really the, the difference. And so we can work on first figuring out where you're at, then work towards getting you towards where you want to be. Um, but yeah, I think an important thing is to say, I don't just say, hey, your stomach acid is low, but also let's work on, is it parasites? Is it stress? Is it, is it low nutrient levels that make your stomach acid low? Okay. There are so mm -hmm. many things. I have so many questions from this. 
let's go back to the baking soda test. What what do you think is a benign thing anyone listening right now can do just to see <clears throat> where their baseline is with stomach acid? I think super easy is to say, hey, do you tolerate meat? Like, does meat eat sit in your stomach for a long time? How do you know? I've heard people say I'm more you, carnivore and people become, say I can't do that. Meat stays in my stomach. I'm like, I don't know if meat's in my stomach. How, how do you know you become more averse to it? You start not liking meat anymore. It's because oh. you actually don't digest it well. You don't okay. feel good on it. You All don't right. feel good on it. Mm-hmm. It's like me, I don't do well with the bread here in this country. And so I automatically stay away from it. I'm not even, I don't have celiacs, but I don't, I'm not, I'm not gluten allergic, but I have gluten intolerance, you know? So yeah. yeah. Well, wouldn't you say everybody in the U.S., because of the way our wheat is grown and manipulated um, and because of, is that my phone or your phone? No, it's mine. And it's actually the the computer. Oh, in your computer. That part off. So sorry about that. That's Mm -hmm. okay. Um, but with that, um, you live because you lived in Europe, you probably weren't bothered by the baguette bread you got at your favorite Austrian cafe, but you are when you're <laughs> at Disney World picking yes. up a, a brioche bun, right? Can we talk about how the food in Disney is like the worst food ever for these kids? My goodness. <laughs> oh, yeah, I would love to. Let's talk about it because I haven't been in years, but it's oh. it's all just processed crap, right? When you go to Disneyland in Paris, the food is much better than Disney World. I mean, it's just much better. Really? Yeah, but overall, I just, I'm not a fast food person. I grew up with, um, so I don't know if you know that, but if you grew up as a child and you are exposed to a lot of spices, your palate develops around the age of six or seven. And so you're more prone to uh, liking whole foods less than fast food. I wasn't exposed to fast food as a child. And I thought that was, that was really great. That's amazing. So yeah, it is day, age six. Like yes. To this um, day, I don't like it. I remember mm-hmm. our, we had neighbors who were from India and, you know, that's my <laughs> favorite cuisine and I love it as an adult. And I remember they brought us over, um, uh, sag paneer and some other things, which are, oh my gosh, my favorites. And when my kids, when they were little, they didn't like them. And I go, then how do their kids like it? They're, our kids were about the same age. And it was probably just the turmeric they smelled all the time and the cumin and the garlic. And they they probably just through osmosis, you know, enjoyed it. Now, as my kids are adults, they love Indian food. But I always wondered how to get younger children in the U.S. with, you know, a sad diet, standard American diet, which mine really didn't have, but they still had more Western foods, how to get them acclimated to it. So you're, we should have them eat it by age six. They should start developing some taste for it, right? Yeah, your taste buds develop mostly as a child. So if they're more exposed to different tastes and spices and herbs, they're going to be more prone to making healthier choices as an adult. That's very interesting. Okay. So yeah, the food at Disney World, the, well, the food everywhere. If you're- and- and to get you back to your question, it's the hybridization of wheat that causes this intolerance. Oh, got it. And then we sprayed with glyphosate. Then the glyphosate. So that's mm-hmm. why I've stayed off it since March 1st, trying to calm down my immune system. Mm-hmm. Um, just as I don't have a celiac, yeah. you know, I, I, I have a glyphosate sensitivity, as we <laughs> right. all do. Right. And, that's and, the and, test. 
Lisa, I love checking for environmental toxins. For those who are really, really sick, I need to do more tests than just hormones. And when I check for mold and Lyme and environmental toxins, you would be surprised how many people have really high glyphosate levels. Um, obviously, they oh, you can are, test for it. You can test for it in the urine. Mm-hmm. Who who does a Dutch test do that? Mm-mm. I do the mosaic labs. I like okay, them. Labs. And then you okay. can use Vibrant Wellness as well. Um, so I think Mosaic is going to come out with their glyphosate add-on and then Vibrant does it currently. But I like Mosaic for my mold testing. So And, and they have other things in their environmental toxins. Like I check for plastics and you know, oh. heavy metals. Yeah, it's really great. You can test for a lot of things. The question is, who is going to interpret it for you and how no. are they going to help you um you know, deal with it because we don't want to just do testing and create more anxiety. We want to have tools to help you um, overcome your health struggles and not just diagnose you with things and then leave you with that. So, mm -hmm. well, since you are across state lines in Arkansas, can you, you can interpret those results and you don't have to be in my state for that, right? Yeah, I can interpret things. I can be completely your second opinion consultant. I can be your health consultant, but okay. I can't be your physician and prescribe you medications. That's right. Well, we all <laughs> want to get off the medications. Yes, but I, it's just important to say like some women do want hormones from me, but across state lines, I don't do hormones, but I do absolutely help them and say, these are the things you need to check. And sometimes they just want supplements. Sometimes they want functional testing. So they don't always want hormones. And that's another thing I love treating menopause, but not everybody wants to be on hormones, even though, you know, they might have a lot of benefits for them. And that's also great. And as a, as a physician, you should have tools to help women that want to feel better without hormones too. You should, because everybody right, should get to choose. Again, when I, I feel like when women are informed and I say things, because, mm -hmm. you know, it benefits me zero financially if they're on hormones. I yes. just don't want to see yes. their husbands pushing them in a nursing home, pulling the chair, hair out of their right. chin someday. And I say <laughs> that it's cardioprotective yes. and it's dementia protective. Correct. That to me would make everybody go, not a bad idea then. I might want to do this. And one of the biggest, um, if someone, let's say someone makes it past menopause, and obviously a majority of women do, I worded that wrong, but let's say you are past menopause and now you're worried about what's going to kill you. It's primarily cardiovascular disease, right? And, and, and then much lower than breast cancer. Let's say you didn't get any of that, but now you're 75, 80 and you didn't do balance training and your muscles have shrunk and you fall. Now you have a fracture, which is one of the highest risk of death for women, you know, at a certain age. And, and hormones do help with bone health. I just had a woman, I had a patient only 55 years old, but I, we helped improve her DEXA scone, a scare and bone density so much more with the hormones that I was giving her. Okay. When is it too late then for a woman to start taking hormones postmenopausally. I see sometimes a 10 year window. Is that it? Yeah. I do think that's actually a more arbitrary uh, window. Okay. I think the, the, the NAM society and the ACOG and all these official societies, they say they have a lot of data, but I have never really seen convincing data that says you can't start it beyond that 10 year window. Good. You just, you have, just have to understand that if you start it earlier, you get more benefits, right? And, and one of the things is, because uh, as uh, you know, estrogen can be beneficial for cardiovascular risk and and also decrease your plaque buildup. If you wait for more than ten years, you might have had some plaque buildup, especially if you have underlying inflammation and cholesterol, certain cholesterol markers that are elevated and 
you know, fatty liver and insulin resistance, now you have higher risk for plaques. So it is true that if you start beyond the 10 year mark, you are catching up and you might already have built some plaques. And now the concern is if you now start estrogen, that you could actually um, make those plaques more unstable and, and that could lead to an event. Here's my response to that. We have screening methods for plaques. We have screening methods of seeing if you have higher risk. I can check your insulin resistance. I can check your lipid markers. I can check uh, a coronary artery scan. I can check for plaque buildup. And then I can say, hey, you're safe. Let's And, and I look at your family history and your personal history and your symptoms. Do you have angina? Do you get short of breath? Like I have you get a cardiology workup and now you're good. I don't think there has to be a limited, you know, uh, time frame if you are symptomatic and you want to benefit from it, you know? I think that's very encouraging because I've just recently seen the 10-year mark with that or a 10-year window mm-hmm. for someone. And because I'm 60, I'm kind of getting close to that, you know, of my peers. I've been on it for a long time, but for my peers who I talked to, I was thinking, oh, shoot, you may have missed the boat. I'm glad that the boat's still out there. They just may have to do some things. They might have to take a dinghy to get to the boat because they might need to find some things out. The calcium score is a tremendous screening opportunity. We have it here at um, our Arkansas Heart Hospital for $99. Wow. Yeah. It's it's called Keep the Beat. It looks at um, carotid artery and it's measuring some other things. Of course- I understand that it's almost they're trying to upsell you because they hope not that they hope something's wrong, but they do have a heart hospital next door in the event you have one of these conditions. And, you know, which is great that they want to they want to fulfill their mission of I hope their mission is to reduce heart disease. But I also want to know when are we going to stop considering cholesterol as a cardiovascular risk and start looking at insulin resistance and fasting insulin and high sensitivity C-reactive protein and other things. And even thyroid patients, thyroid patients have a higher risk for cardiovascular issues. No one ever addresses that. The fat girl on the treadmill, really, if she would just, someone would treat her thyroid, she might lose the weight and reduce her risk of cardiovascular disease. How do you address that? Absolutely. Every PCOS patient, for example, every yes. weight patient of mine gets yes. thyroid checked. Literally yes. everyone gets thyroid checked. Because yes. I do a full thyroid panel, not just the TSH and the free T4. I do a full thyroid panel. Um, let me say something about um, the plaque. So officially I can't say we cure anything, but in a functional medicine practice that I have, I can even help women with plaque buildup without a catheter or angio, you oh, know. Oh, really? Yes, yes. Um, so there is IVs and there is supplements that okay. and lifestyle changes that can be done. In terms of cholesterol, it is not completely useless. It's the it's the oxidized cholesterol LDL and the LDL particle size and number. That so particle size and, and number and and, and, and is the that oxidized. the APO? That's the carrier. That's a carrier molecule for that uh, cholesterol molecule. So if that's elevated, that can also be modified. We have some data that certain supplements can help modify that even, you know, and uh, I I work with, uh, I am in a network of people where we just are in a WhatsApp group and we exchange ideas. I know a lot of functionally trained cardiologists. So if a woman was interested in doing things naturally, 
I could refer them to them and say, let's get your heart naturally treated. Right. And your AFib, because you know, we know magnesium taurate and potassium and, mag- you know, just can help with AFib, right? Get that treated. Let's get your thyroid treated. Let's get all the underlying viruses and uh, and let's do the hormones. So I agree with you. I think the future is going to be teamwork, a team yeah. of experts all thinking alike yeah. and having great health coaches on board in that team, right? So that's going to be the best success. Well, I had a client reach out to me because um, she's a former professional women's golfer and I mean, very, very fit. Her husband's very, very fit. And someone told him his cholesterol was high. You know, of course, I just went womp, womp, womp. But she said, I, she said, well, he was going to never eat steak again. I said, well, please, this is my text message. Please don't make that rash decision. Your liver makes cholesterol. I'm a, I'm an intermittent faster. So I might have higher cholesterol because I fast so much of my day because that works for me. But she's ordered DHEA, red rice, omegas, and flax and chia. Are those things that modify or mitigate the scary cholesterol or no? Okay. So what she did is she did chia and flax because those are the plant-derived omegas. And then she's doing omega-3 supplements, which is the fish-derived. So she has the EPA and DHA and, you know, that covered. And there is data showing that omega-3s being higher is beneficial for your cholesterol profile. Then she did the red rice yeast, which apparently works like statins, but without being a statin. So it can lower your cholesterol. But my concern is we don't have long-term data on the use of that supplement either, right? And we don't know if that uh, affects your coenzyme Q10. And I'm sure there's some PhD biohacker out there that knows about those things and good for them. But what I'm saying is, any supplement you do doesn't replace looking into the details of what is his fat metabolism on a cellular level. These are the things I do. I check for, I do a testing called the Nutrival and I look at exactly what his cells do on a, to convert energy. And they, again, they, they're ignoring his thyroid and they're ignoring his testosterone yeah. levels because we know okay. testosterone is important for your lipid profile. If he's yeah. older, oh, sure. now his testosterone is lower. Maybe that's part of the reason. And I don't know how many beers he's drinking at night and I don't I, know what exactly his, his macronutrient profile looks sure. like. Well, there's so many levels. Go and get a supplement, but please don't forget all the other things you need to look into okay. to get the best benefit out of it. But in terms of what she's doing for him, yes, this is how I would explain those supplements. But that's not even everything I was talking about, how we can help reverse plaque. There's certain certain supplements we can definitely even help with mild plaque workup. There's certain make- medications that are repurposed like low-dose colchicine or, you know, like certain low-dose medications nobody has even heard about that can affect plaque buildup. Um, There is certain, you know, um, peptides you can use, stem cells, but, you know, not in a way where you you inject them because you're not allowed to in the U.S., but you can use like patches and, and, um, you know, oral pep. There's so much one can do, but again, you cannot forget the basics. How is this person sleeping? How is yes. he eating? What's his stress level? Um, what is he do? How much natural light is he getting? Yes. You know, how much exercise is he doing? So yes, there's a thousand things out there. So many people are confused because there's literally a supplement for a supplement of a supplement. That's but true. you 
so true, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but you, you, you need to understand that you can't always solve everything. Sometimes you need an expert like me that actually yes. helps interpret the data and help helps you even tell you the downsides of a supplement. Like, did you know that now everybody wants to be in turmeric? Did you know yes. turmeric can actually impact absorption of other nutrients in your bowel? Oh, it would compromise it and... It could potentially oh. because obviously it's a big molecule that can have downstream effects. So while it can help improve your natural killer cells, fight off cancer and bring down inflammation, it can also inhibit iron absorption. So if someone is iron deficient, oh. you can make it worse. Wow. So you do need people who understand all these intricacies. You can't always find all the answers. Just like I can maybe read a certain law online, but I don't understand how to interpret it. I'll need a lawyer or an accountant yeah. sure. for my That's taxes. A great way to put that. Yeah. Um, well, I'm sending them to you then because she's also a life coach and helps a lot of people. So she loves the online world. It would be perfect. Um, how can people get in touch with you? I'll put your information in the show notes, but would they just go through your office then? Because yeah, if, they can, if they're out of outside of the state of Florida, not looking for medical help, but looking yeah. for more of the big picture uh, screening for these other things, they can just reach out. Yeah, they can find me on Instagram and they message me there and it's Dr. Salma Scotty, MD. And I usually check it on a daily. And then my email is uh, drsalmascotti at gmail.com. So okay. those are the two ways. Mm -hmm. All right. We'll put that in the show notes so we can help people because uh, we have to wrap up now. But oh, wait, back to the baking soda. Do you do baking soda? You drink it and then you're seeing, do you want to burp or you don't want to burp? So if you burp too quickly, then your stomach acid was really low. Oh. If your stomach acid is high, good enough. And people can Google that, just the right okay. amount and everything. Yeah. It's super okay. easy. But uh, there's also ways to, when I do the gut health testing, I actually look, that's a little bit more um, uh, detailed. Then I can actually see how you're breaking down the foods because it looks at the fat content in your stool that you send in. And it yeah. also looks at your pancreatic enzyme function. And so it does give you a little bit more um information if you want to go through the, the gut health testing. Mm -hmm. All right. So you mm -hmm. think gut health testing is important. Hormone testing obviously is important. I love, I love nutritional testing on a cellular level. Okay. Like someone might have MTHFR and be taken folate and, and like methylated folate, but then they can cause an overmethylation in their system from undermethylation uh -huh. to overmethylation and not feel very good and then get more anxious. And you don't know until you look at on a cellular level, what are their nutrient deficiencies? And you don't check that in the blood. You sometimes need plasma markers, urine markers. So you do you do need to, to do the right testing for the right person. All right. You're a one-stop shop. You can really do it all. I mean, I love to know everything, but there will be so many people who are better in like experts in certain areas. And then I like, I like to refer out. But if a woman comes to me, I pretty much can talk to her about everything and then say, hey, but to get this type of help, let's maybe bring this or this person on board. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, your social media honest, is great too. Because I don't think our bodies read textbooks and our bodies no. don't get to say, oh, it's just my vagina, you know, that's having mm -hmm. an issue. It's always the whole body. So the more I learn about everything, the more I can help women at least direct them for help to certain specialists, you know, at least they can find some answers with me. Yeah. I use a similar analogy to my health coaching clients in talking about mm -hmm. fasting. They say, 
well, I'm drinking a Diet Coke in the morning. And I say, well, your body doesn't read labels. It thinks food's incoming and your pancreas releases insulin to usher glucose to the cells. So I say it the same way, just in a, I, I dumb it down like just that. a little bit for fasting. Just because people, <laughs> people have to have visuals sometimes yes. to under, or I do, I, yes. I'm a visual learner. So I understand it when I, you know, that's why I can understand the way the pancreas releases the insulin and it takes the, we hope it takes the glucose, takes it to the cells. If it doesn't, then insulin circulating and then mm-hmm. it's not good for you. So I'm no. very visual. I love the way you said that. You're a delightful guest. You, uh, you're, like I said, your social media is great. Um, I, I just like the way you operate. I like, Thank I like you so your much. whole philosophy and you're Aww. just a beautiful soul with, again, Thank five you. languages fluent, has lived um, many places on the globe and you're in Florida now and yes. Floridians are lucky because they can see you as a healthcare provider but we can <laughs> see you just as someone who can take care of some other things uh, thank you for having me on it was a pleasure I love your podcast so. thank you thank you great job today thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher said podcast be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review won't you The Lisa Fisher Said Podcast is produced by ClantonCreative.com.